0: in bed every night To me it sounded like mumbling Like she was out of her mind She said, boy, this kind of praying Is what saved my life You ought to try it sometime And now I know she was right She was talking to Jesus She was talking to Jesus. She'd been talking to Jesus for all of her life. Mama used to drag me to church Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. Khaki pants and a polo shirt. Boy, I put up a fight she said son one day you'll thank me for having god in your life and yeah i know she was right yeah my mama was right cause now i'm talking to jesus she got me talking to jesus she got me talking to jesus yeah my mama Now I'm talking to Jesus Yeah I love talking to Jesus and I'll be talking to Jesus for the rest of my life What a friend we have got three of my own now, I'm trying to raise them upright. my oldest is 15, and I remember what that was like, I'm trying to deal with the trauma, trying to figure out the questions in life, and I've been looking for a way to show him. How to make it all right Then he walked in my room While I was saying my prayers the other night He said, I'll come back later I can tell you got a lot on your mind I said, it's not an interruption You couldn't have picked a better time i was just talking to jesus come over and give it a try we started talking to jesus we started talking to jesus
1: we started
0: talking bad time to start it don't have to sound pretty just tell them what's on your heart because it's not a religion because no. it's more like a friendship so just talk to your father like you are his kid start talking to Jesus, just start talking to Jesus, if you can talk to Jesus, oh whenever you like, just start talking to Jesus, just start talking to Jesus, just keep talking to Jesus the rest of your
2: good morning, everyone. It's so good to be able to join together and worship together as a family. My name is Jay. If you're new here, I'm the director of worship. And uh, we begin all of our services with a call to worship. And this morning I'm going to read uh, from Psalm 147 as our call to worship. Would you stand with us as we hear God's word, as we prepare our hearts for worship this morning? This is the first five verses of Psalm 147. Listen to these words. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Let's pray together. Oh, great God, we begin by asking for your help this morning. Many here are among the brokenhearted you speak of in this passage. Many here walk in with deep wounds from this week, this year, perhaps from decades. God, but we are reminded in this passage that you care for us even in these moments. You, who created the stars and named each one of them. You, the one who is above all things, the one who is infinitely powerful and wise. You care for us, your little children, deeply. personally, and we thank you for that. God, we thank you for caring for us who do not deserve your care. So would you now give us hearts to sing to you? Help us to sing praises to you, for it is good and it is fitting to do so. May we receive your word and be changed by it this morning. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together. started learning this song together last week. This is Christ, our hope in life and death. And uh, if, if it's new for you this week, this song is uh, simply put, it's a song that helps redirect our hearts to where our hopes, our hopes should be. Uh, we often put our hopes in things like our job in our uh, financial security in uh, our grades and in, in, in friends or family and all of those things Um, fail us from time to time, but Christ does not fail us. Christ, the hope in Christ is eternal and it is never failing, and this song helps redirect our hearts to believe that, um, which we so often forget. So let's sing that together now.
3: the waves that pain is nigh and to the shore the walk of Christ sing on that chorus to sing. our hope in life.
4: Good morning. Welcome to City Church. My name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here. We are a church aspiring to be an authentic community, walking with God. And our city is always a good time to gather together as a people of God. It's a particularly beautiful morning. We have a few honored guests that you're going to be hearing from in just a couple of minutes. And I want to get to that as quickly as possible. So brief announcements. Number one, we love you and want to hear from you. So please, help us know how we can pray for you. When you come in the door each Sunday, we give you this bulletin. Uh, we put a lot of love into that bulletin. Read it, treasure it, keep it for weeks. We also have an even bigger bulletin with more information on the hospitality table. You can pick that up. But main thing is that little bulletin has a connection card in it. If you would take that out, put your prayer request on there, stick it in the pocket in front of you, we would be really blessed by that. You can put your name on it. You can make it anonymous if that would be preferable. There's also an online. You might see a slide. There's a virtual option, too. If you go to citychurchgnv.com slash connection, If you go to that URL, you can fill out an online connection card. It goes to the same place. We pray for you. Great resources. Ask us questions. Uh, Get to know us. Um, Kind of say hello, that kind of thing. We're very responsive to those cards. However, there's another thing you can do today. Right after each of these services, so 9 a.m. service and 11 a.m. service, catty corner across the street from our church there's these white tents. You can go to those white tents right after the service. We'll have some pastries there. A few folks from our staff will be waiting for you with Friendly Faces, to do like five, ten-minute presentation about our church, who we are, why we're in downtown, what we believe, in, and answer some questions. So if you got a minute after the service, we'll remind you, we would love it if you would head to those tents, again, across the street from our church, and then we'll be there, and we can chat with you, and you can have coffee, and you can have patience. It's be an excellent time. So this is your lucky Sunday. Glad you're here. Additionally, we worship a generous God, part of our responsive worship, as the people of God is giving generously. You can always give online, give where we have a brown box in the back of the sanctuary as well that's available with some envelopes and some pens. Uh, a couple of general announcements. Number one, for the first time ever, seriously, we are doing a homecoming celebration. Here's why we're doing that. That would be not next weekend, but the weekend after that. We're doing this homecoming celebration primarily so we can invite kind of our alumni back, people that have gone to City Church but then moved, so that they can come back and celebrate with us and so that and so you can hear from some of those people they're going to talk about God's work in their lives since they've gone on from City Church. So basically, they're going to say, hey, whatever happened to so and such, they're going to come back and say, hey, this is how God is moving and working in my life Here's how he's used City Church even though I'm not here anymore. going to be very encouraging. So that will be on that Sunday, so the 10th. The 9th, we're also having, just for the heck of it, we're having a little tailgate. We'll give you more information about where that is. I think it might be in your bulletin. Uh, I think it's at 9 a.m., the tailgate. Playing Vanderbilt, we are assuming that's going to be a noon game for various reasons. Um, we love Vanderbilt, they're just not very good right now. So 9 a.m., and um, I think it's in the bulletin. If it's not, we'll give you information about where to go. So we hope that you will participate in that, and then we have the, uh, the Sunday service, and you'll hear from some alumni. It'll be just a, hopefully, Lord willing, really great time. Various opportunities to engage beyond Sunday morning continue. We have nine community groups, nine of them that meet every week uh, at people's homes. They are wide open for everybody. Information in your bulletin, chat with me after the service. Our Joshua studies. Uh, for women are continuing on Monday, Monday night on Zoom, Tuesday morning, in person here at 9.30. And then our, our, our study called A Biblical Theology of Marriage is uh, continuing. Our third session is tomorrow night at 7 o'clock right here in the sanctuary. We're going to be talking about the purpose of marriage and singleness. The last two have been recorded. If you missed them, they're available on Realm on our intranet. You can talk to me about how to get that info after the service um, if you'd like. All right, here's the main thing. We're, we're trying desperately to get to here. We have the honor this morning of hosting uh, Pastor Ugo and his wife, Gisela. And actually, their son, Mateo, is here as well. Uh, Pastor Ugo is the president. Well, sorry. Well, I could call you that. You can be whatever you want That He is the president. He's technically the director of Spanish ministries, director of Spanish ministries for the Evangelical Free Church of America, which is our denomination in the Southeast District. Uh, We are partnered with um, our district for an a lot of ways, but a couple of them directly involved um, the Spanish ministry arm that Ugo and Gazella help uh, lead. They were here uh, like a couple of weeks before all the shutdowns. So the last time they were here was February of 2020, and then everything shut down, and that was kind of that for a little bit. But the Lord is doing some marvelous things. They're going to give you some updates, and it's just very encouraging that finally, a year and a half later, they are back and ready to give some updates. So go for it. And let's welcome them.
5: Buenos días, buenos días. Okay, esta es mi esposa Gisela.
6: And uh, this is his wife Gisela.
5: <laughs> um, estamos muy bendecidos de estar aquí con ustedes.
6: We are so blessed to be here today with you guys.
5: Uh, realmente nos gusta venir a adorar al Señor con ustedes aquí en Gainesville.
6: We really love to come here and worship with you guys here in Gainesville.
5: Nosotros venimos a Estados Unidos en el
6: 2003. We to United States in 2003.
5: Porque ella, porque ella recibió su llamado misionero cuando tenía
6: 15 años de edad.
5: De venir aquí y servir entre los latinos en Estados
6: Unidos.
5: Deja presentar mi familia una foto acá.
6: Let me introduce my family. We have a picture in here.
5: Uh, empezamos por la izquierda.
6: We're gonna start from the left.
5: Uh, Lulu Rose es nuestro pequeño perrito.
6: Lulu Rose, our little dog. Lucas es 23. Lucas, he's 23.
5: Mateo 14. Mateo 14. Uh, 26, uh, Sammy.
6: 27, Sammy.
5: Sammy, ven. Y está casado con Amy.
6: And he just married Amy.
5: Um, nosotros venimos del sur.
6: We came from the south.
5: Next, please. De Chile. From Chile. Uh, bien al sur.
6: Very south.
5: Y en el 2003, el Señor nos <laughs> dio la oportunidad de venir.
6: 2003, the Lord gave the opportunity to come.
5: Pero a but primero. We,
6: we came to Pennsylvania first.
5: we We've
6: been there for 14 years. Very cold 14 years.
5: <laughs> Pennsylvania <laughs> es, es muy linda.
6: Pennsylvania is so beautiful.
5: Pero también muy frío en invierno.
6: But also very cold in winter.
5: Next uh, Gran diferencia. A huge difference. En el 2014 el Señor nos llamó de nuevo a movernos desde Pensilvania a venir a Florida.
6: In 2014 God called us to move again from Pennsylvania to Florida.
5: Porque con tantos hispanos viviendo en el sur de Estados Unidos necesitaban a alguien que pudiera ayudar un poquito.
6: For all the many Spanish people or population that are living here in South, they need somebody to help.
5: Uh, in the district. Ahora en
6: now we live in Jackson, Florida.
5: Next. The
6: Lord has, has given me the opportunity to serve in all these states.
5: Cuando venimos solo habían dos iglesias hispanas.
6: When we came there, there were just only two Hispanic churches.
5: Pero gracias a Dios hemos crecido un poquito.
6: But praise God, that we've grown a little bit.
5: Y viene interesante que en la pandemia el Señor nos ha bendecido muchísimo.
6: It's very interesting because in the pandemic time, the Lord has been blessing us. So much. He
5: pasado muchas horas en Zoom.
6: Has been a lot of hours in Zoom.
5: <laughs> Haciendo servicio, entrenando, Doing service and uh, training next please um, I've
6: been counting and we have more than 10 million Hispanic in the district
5: a long time
6: ago I asked somebody from Florida
5: y um, le
6: it is any Hispanic in your community.:
5: uh, Un pastor amigo
6: a from a pastor friend close to me.
5: Y él empezó a pensar no, mm, no, no tenemos a nadie."
6: He started thinking and mm, mm, no, we don't have no one.":
5: Tres meses después nos volvimos a ver.
6: Three months later, we see each other again.
5: Y a en el, en el parking lot.
6: And he started running in the parking lot.
5: Y con una gran a
6: huge smile.
5: parking lot. Sí, and
6: he told me, yes, they are.
5: Están por todas they
6: are he everywhere.
5: Yo le pregunté, él a mirar.
6: Because I asked him, he started looking
5: y encontró a muchas personas en su comunidad que hablaban español.
6: He find a lot of people in his community they speak Spanish.
5: Next. ¿Qué es lo que hago en parte de las cosas que hago en el distrito?
6: Uh, what is I uh, what I do in, uh, in my job in the district.
5: Next. Uh, una de las cosas que hago es compartir la visión de la necesidad de alcanzar a los hispanos.
6: Uh, one of the things that I do is to uh, share the vision to reach the Hispanic.
5: Sabes que el el país donde se habla más español es México.
6: Do you know that country that is speak more Spanish is Mexico?
5: Y el segundo es Estados Unidos.
6: Second country is United States.
5: Tenemos más de 40 millones que hablan español aquí. ¿Cuántos hablan un poquito de español aquí?
6: Oh, oh, wow. Wow. Uh,
5: pero también parte de mi servicio es, es, es invitar a, a, a familias que quieran servir en las comunidades hispanas.
6: One of my service also is invite people, a uh, family that we want to serve in the Hispanic communities.
5: Y y ayuda.
6: and uh, bring them and uh, training and serving to the community.
5: Pero también and cuando están sirviendo al señor.
6: And also take care of them when they are serving the Lord.
5: When the pastores al señor, que
6: When the pastors serve the Lord we have to take care of them.
5: Uh, los pastores pasan muchos momentos difíciles.
6: Pastor, they um, go through very difficult times.
5: Uh, y siempre están dando consejo y ánimo.
6: They always giving encourage uh, and advice, counseling.
5: Pero ellos también necesitan ánimo.
6: But they also they need being encouraged.
5: Next. Uh, deja hablarte un poquito acerca de lo que estamos haciendo.
6: Let me tell you a little bit of what is going on or what we are doing it.
5: Todo esto son eh, iglesias nuevas o están empezando.
6: All these are new churches or they started. Uh,
5: Roberto and Robin en and Com Luciana, Tito and Patty in Atlanta, Georgia, Ricky and Maribel in Florida, Wilma and Diana in Jackson in Florida, uh, Jeremy and Angelica uh, recién se movieron de Chicago para establecer una iglesia en West Palm Beach.
6: Jeremy and Angelica just yes, moved from Chicago to uh, West Palm Beach to start a church.
5: Estamos por empezar en octubre la primera iglesia en, en San Juan, Puerto Rico.
6: We almost uh, will start a church in the beginning of October in San Juan, Puerto Rico.
5: Y recién empecé a hablar con una persona que quiere empezar algo en Kendall, Florida, I just Miami.
6: I just started talking with somebody that he wants to start a church in Kendall uh, Miami.
5: Uh, next please. Ahora qué estamos haciendo aquí en Gainesville?
6: What are we doing here in Gainesville?
5: Ahí está Gianluca y Débora.
6: Gianluca and Débora.
5: Y Mark que es de esta iglesia. Mark, no sé si está acá.
6: Mark from this church, I don't know if he's here.
5: Uh, ellos están liderando un estudio bíblico en español aquí en la ciudad.
6: His, they are um, doing a Bible study here in the
5: city. Donde están todos invitados, los que quieran practicar o escuchar o hablan español.
6: All of you are very welcome if you want to practice or hear Spanish.
5: Y si no hablas español, puedes venir, puedes aprender.
6: If you don't speak Spanish, you can come, you can learn.
5: <laughs> Next, please. Ahora, Venezuela.
6: Now, Venezuela.
5: Esto está muy cerca de mi corazón.
6: This is very close to my heart.
5: Uh, son eh, hermanas iglesias que están en Venezuela.
6: There are sister churches there in Venezuela.
5: Fueron empezadas por misioneros americanos.
6: They started with um, American missionaries.
5: Uh, por más de 100 años estuvieron ahí.
6: For more than 100 years they've been there.
5: Pero el gobierno que ahora tiene Venezuela los echó a todos los misioneros.
6: But a new government of Venezuela have, they pushed out the old missionaries.
5: Uh, next. ¿Se acuerdan del pastor, no sé si alguien se acuerde, el pastor Advi y Paola?
6: Do you remember Pastor Advi and Paola?
5: Él es el presidente de nuestras iglesias hermanas en Venezuela.
6: He is the president of our churches, sister churches in Venezuela.
5: Primero que nada, el el país está quebrado.
6: First of all, the country is broken.
5: Pero la pandemia ha, ha venido tan fuerte.
6: Pero la pandemia ha sido muy fuerte.
5: Tenían 85 pastores.
6: Tienen um, 85 pastores.
5: Uh, 12 han muerto estos últimos 6 meses.
6: 12 de ellos murieron en estos últimos meses. Por COVID. Porque COVID.
5: Y la semana pasada... Un pastor se recuperó de COVID pero su esposa murió.
6: Last week a pastor he recovered from COVID but his wife
5: died. Ellos están haciendo el trabajo de una manera tan increíble.
6: They are doing that job the amazing way.
5: Empezaron 15 iglesias nuevas en pandemia.
6: They started 15 new churches in pandemic time.
5: Uh, termino con esto.
6: And I'm finished with this.
5: El pastor Pereira la semana pasada me dijo.
6: Pastor Pereira last week tell me
5: this. Tú cuando vas a un hospital.
6: When you go to the hospital.
5: Y a lo mejor tienes una herida abierta.
6: And maybe you have an open wound.
5: Puedes ir al hospital.
6: You can go to the hospital.
5: Pero tus familiares tienen que tratar de conseguir todo lo que necesitas para que ahí te curen.
6: For your family member they have to find out all the material all the things that they need in the hospital to healing uh, heal in you or take care of your wound
5: no have no, they no tienen medicina
6: because they don't have medicine
5: ellos, sigue, ellos tuvieron dos veces covid
6: they have with covid twice
5: pero siguen adelante sirviendo al señor
6: but they continue forward serving the lord
5: muchas gracias por el apoyo que esta iglesia ha dado a venezuela
6: and thank you so much for this church for the support that brought and sent to Venezuela.
4: Gracias.
5: Thank
6: you.
4: I'm going to go ahead and pray for them, um, especially for what's going on in Venezuela and um, for the, the Spanish Bible study that they are starting and has been established here. Two wonderful developments uh, Lord, thank you so much that we are able to host uh, Pastor Ugo in Gazella this morning and Matea. What a gift from God. Thank you for their encouraging uh, updates. Thank you for all the churches that are being planted, even in the middle of a pandemic. Lord, incredible grace from you. Supernatural power at work, clearly. We do pray uh, for the people of Venezuela, especially the, the 85 or so pastors and their families that are doing remarkable work, but have experienced incredible setbacks in the last couple of years. Thank you that you are still working to plant even more churches there, too, Uh, but we know there's a lot of grieving going on, a lot of suffering. We pray for perseverance. We pray for relief, Lord, Um, and we pray for people to come to know Christ, to encounter Jesus and walk with him. Um, And Lord, we do pray for the Spanish Bible study that launched a few weeks ago. We thank you. This is the first time we have ever done anything like this. Here in Gainesville, thank you for uh, Pastor Hugo's vision to make this happen. I pray that was, this would be a, a long-term thing that would flourish for your glory and for the good of this city. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Scripture passage this morning is from the book of Second Corinthians, chapter two, verses five through eleven. Second Corinthians two, five through eleven. Passage will be up on the screen. If you have a Bible, we would encourage you to pull that out and follow along with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5-11. through 11. Let me read this passage for us, keeping in mind that these are God's very words to us. Powerful, supremely relevant, even for today. This is verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 2. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Let's pray together. God of mercy, we need so much help to approach this text rightly, orient our hearts and our minds by the power of your Spirit. Would you help us not just to to read and, and hear, but to really understand, but that this passage would soak into our hearts and, and that there would be genuine life transformation. We would leave here different people because of it. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, forgiveness, as one author recently put it in Comment Magazine, is fading at least in It's moment. It's kind of disappearing into this void, and who knows when or if it will return. You may have noticed hints of this last summer as we experienced significant tension concerning uh, matters of race and justice. At least in some circles, justice and forgiveness were discussed as if they were kind of at odds with each other. And of course, raise your hand if you are seeing too much forgiveness and reconciliation on social media. Too much, you just had it. I wish that was the case, but it's not. Instead, we're seeing sarcasm and and criticisms and attacks, sometimes to the so-called point of cancellation, which generally does not leave the door open for forgiveness. TV shows and films tend to be a cultural mirror that reflect our true values, sometimes contradicting the things that we say we value. And what are many of the shows and films that we watch about these days? I mean, They're about sticking it to the man, getting even, getting revenge. You know, CBS isn't putting out shows called The Reconciler. CBS is putting out shows called The Equalizer. And a few years ago, Denzel Washington started a couple, he started actually a couple of films of the same name. We love that name right now. We're like equalization, yes, revenge. We do find grace and forgiveness in some films, most recently and and powerfully. uh, The film Pig, I did not intend to watch it because of the um, Nicolas Cage factor. Uh, But I've been told by some people in this congregation that he actually doesn't really say much. He just makes a bunch of facial expressions, and so um, I think we're good to go. But those films about grace and and forgiveness, they're kind of prophetic. They're more the exception than the rule. So why this fading of forgiveness? Especially since most of us, at 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 least at some level, we sense the beauty and the power of forgiveness. When we see it, when we read about it, when we experience it. So why is it fading? We're going to get to that a little bit later this morning as we consider an exhortation from the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians concerning forgiveness. And it's a particularly poignant exhortation given that the gentleman here in need of forgiveness has caused Paul a lot of personal harm. Two reflections... This morning pertaining to the value and the urgency of forgiveness. Number one, we're going to look at Satan's plan for navigating sin and conflict in the church. And then number two, God's plan for navigating sin and conflict in the church. It's only fair that we listen to both takes on this before we decide what sort of culture we're looking for here at City Church and beyond. And so let's look at that first, rather cynical, in my opinion, reflection. Satan's plan for navigating sin and conflict in the church. What does he think about this? As we've mentioned, the past couple of weeks, Paul made a second visit to Corinth. this was in between the letters we call First and Second Corinthians to address very much mounting opposition to the legitimacy and the authority of his apostolic ministry. So he helped start the church in Corinth, and then eventually people started to kind of turn on him in Corinth. And the opposition in question was very degrading, it was very personal, putting the spotlight on Paul's relatively unimpressive rhetorical skills and physical presence, as well as on the various afflictions that were becoming a very normative part of his travels. Plus, the opposition was possibly promoting ideologies that were contrary to the gospel that Paul had preached, ideologies that were promoting moral laxity, you know, do whatever you want instead of holiness. And you can see how these would be related if you want to promote moral laxity. Well, the thing to do would be to undermine Paul's apostolic authority in gospel. It's not entirely clear what Paul's expectations were for this second visit, but it ended up being intensely painful and disappointing. You can see that in chapter 2, verse 1. The opposition that he encountered was rather entrenched, and the folks that he thought might come to his defense did no such thing. So Paul eventually wrote them a very severe follow-up letter intended to expose their sinfulness and hopefully... Catalyze repentance, a letter that, as we'll see in more detail down the road when we get to chapter 7, thankfully had its intended effect. The Corinthians, at least most of them, they acknowledged their sin, they grieved their sin, and they therefore repented of their sin. Titus came back to Paul and gave him this happy, encouraging news. The Corinthian believers also punished, as the text says, the ringleader of the original opposition, most likely, it's not for sure, but most likely by excommunicating him from their fellowship, at least for a season. This is what Paul is referring to in chapter 2, verse 6, when he mentions this punishment by the majority concerning an unnamed he who had caused pain. It's implied in the text that The Apostle Paul himself had actually called for this action and his severe letter for this discipline. And it's reasonable to assume that it had something to do with the severity of the ringleader's offenses as well as his comparative lack of remorsefulness and repentance. Now at this point, Satan would have been a touch concerned about this excommunication, if that's what it was, since the whole idea behind it, and you can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, more on this later, was that it would, in God's mercy, lead to this person's spiritual restoration. That was the point. And i got to tell you, Satan is just really, really down on that kind of thing. So his advice to the Corinthians, would have been something like this. Yes, exclude the ringleader guy from your spiritual fellowship, but make sure you do so with the right amount of hutzpah and maybe, maybe a dash of, of prideful swagger. I mean, cast him out, but like really cast him out. You know, kind of get into it a little bit. Make sure he knows how wrong he was, especially compared to you. And given how wrong he was, go ahead and just just shut him out forever. The key here is to be as punitive as possible. He deserves it. That's what Satan thinks. How do we know that this is satanic advice? Because grace, grace, the welcome of God through and in Christ Jesus, is the lifeblood of the church, corporately, and the very ground on which we stand before God individually and commune with Him. So when Satan wants to, to outwit the people of God, as you can see in verse 11, that is, when he, when he wants to deceptively damage our gospel culture and cause spiritual harm, One of his primary designs or strategies is this. He wants to suck the grace out of a church's ecosystem like a shop back sucks sand out of your car after a trip to the beach. You know how satisfying that is? You got sand everywhere, you got a shop back out in your garage and you suck it. It's wonderful. Satan thinks it's wonderful when we lose all of our grace. He thinks that feels great. And instead of being grace-filled, he wants, this is what he wants, he wants church communities to be teeming with moralism and judgmentalism, emboldening people in those communities to walk around with private or even public beliefs about their spiritual superiority relative to other people. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's hoping for. And he wants individuals within those church communities to be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow for whatever indiscretions they may commit. You can see this language in verse 7. Ideally to the point that they believe themselves to be beyond the reach of God's restorative grace and permanently outside the community of God's people. That's what he's hoping. That's what Satan wants to do. And church, beware and this is so urgent and important right now, a crisis, a crisis affords Satan with one of the best opportunities to do this kind of work because seasons of uncertainty, seasons of distress, make us even more susceptible to ego strokes and our very desperate search for comfort and stability. We've seen this. In the past few years, haven't. One of the reasons that so many people have taken such strong moral, even, even spiritual positions on issues like, like masks and, and vaccines and political candidates is that we are desperately searching for certainty and a sense of moral rectitude in an age in which certainty and moral rectitude seem to be fleeting. You know, everything might be going haywire, but at least on this issue, I am certain that I am right, and you are wrong. We're trying to find our footing somewhere, and so we land on these issues with with a lot of pop and vigor, and then here's what we do. We brazenly criticize and skewer the wrongdoers, even to the point of punitive. Pseudo excommunication, where reconciliation and forgiveness aren't even on the radar. We're simply done with the people that don't have the right view. We exclude them from leadership. We, we ostracize them socially. We unfollow them on Twitter. That's the modern excommunication. Whatever. And I'm serious on this point. In the past two years, I have heard more folks say, I'm just done with those people, whoever they are, then I have heard folks say that in the previous 33 years of my life combined. This is the kind of culture that Satan longs for, that he sings about in the shower, both in our church and broadly. Listen, Satan is perfectly fine with Now, with licentiousness, he's perfectly fine with with marginalizing obedience and holiness, which was part of the occasion for Paul's previous letters. That's always a great option in his mind. But if you do have a sort of moral awakening, Satan would love to hijack that and turn it into this graceless, judgmental grandstanding that can damage Christian communities and damage people. Paul was aware of this possibility, As you can see in verse 11, Corinthians, we are not ignorant of Satan's designs. So while he actually did see the need, Paul saw the need to punish this ringleader, he also saw the need for grace and forgiveness for the sake of the individual, for the sake of their spiritual community, and for the sake of their relationship with Paul himself. He didn't have any interest in giving Satan room to work to have his way with our spiritual pride. And by the way, the word punishment, as you find it in verse 6, isn't punitive in the way that you might be thinking. The Greek word that's actually translated punishment in our English Bibles is typically used in the New Testament to connote kind of a, a rebuke or reproof, and such is the case here as well. So Paul was advising an uncomfortable yet very loving rebuke with tangible consequences Meant to help this person, the ringleader, come to terms with the seriousness of his sin and then repent. That's what Paul was hoping. for. Satan, on the other hand, is always hoping for harsh, vindictive punishments against our brothers and sisters in Christ. Which end up being decisive and destructive. As Kent Hughes describes it, if we let people stew in their despondency, we end up cooking our own souls. So church, how's our culture? By the way, I'm actually relatively encouraged by our culture. But I would like you to think for yourselves. How's our culture? Are we taking any of Satan's advice, Even, even like a tiny bit of it, a hint of it? Is there any graceless judgmentalism in our midst? any inclinations to believe that we're spiritually and morally superior to those other people, even when those other people really have caused offenses and may genuinely need to be corrected. The time is always right to ask these kinds of uncomfortable questions, but these questions are really urgent given the soil we've been tilling as a country these past couple of years. Has our national culture of, of gracelessness, the fading of forgiveness, has it spilled into our own church family? Even a little bit, has it spilled into your heart? Hopefully, it goes without saying that these are questions that we should particularly be asking ourselves. I mean, imagine the irony of thinking to yourself in this very moment oh, yeah, that guy over there, he is really judgmental. Please don't do that. We will need to say hard things to one another and even take corrective action sometimes. And we're just about to talk about that in more detail. But are we aware of Satan's schemes, of his designs? Are we aware that he's actively looking to take even righteous impulses to correct or rebuke someone and then twist them into this prideful wildfire of spiritual destruction? Satan loves it when our corrective actions are vindictive and spiteful. He loves it when we dog people with reminders about past sins long after we've repented of them. He loves it when we withhold forgiveness when someone crosses this arbitrary line in the sand that we've personally or corporately determined. He loves it when church discipline resembles gladiatorial combat where the spiritual emperor gives us Thumbs down to people who spiritually displease him. It might not have been a thumbs down, by the way. It might have been, there's a scholarly debate on that. You can talk about it with me later. Satan loves all of this because it's completely unbiblical and it's ungodly and it's poisonous. And so many people have been wounded in church contexts because of this kind of graceless satanic culture. There's a podcast out right now that I think is helpful in some ways, maybe not as helpful on others. I have mixed feelings about it. It's about the rise and the fall of a very large church that essentially peaked in the late 2000s or so. And the lead pastor liked to describe his church as a bus that would run over people who were getting in the way of their holy mission, piling up dead bodies along the way. And he wasn't being all that facetious. I have met with people who have been branded with with scarlet letters by spiritual leaders or communities with zero space held out for forgiveness and reconciliation. In the worst case that I can remember, a soon-to-be single mom in a season in which her spiritual, emotional, and physical needs were about to be greater than ever. Satan loves that kind of stuff. So we need a better way need a better way, and that brings us to our second reflection, God's plan for navigating sin and conflict in the church. Sometimes we do need to correct or rebuke one another, which may entail certain consequences depending on the nature of the offense and the posture of the offender. Why? Because church communities are 100% full of sinners, of sinful people. And even though these sinners are hopefully experiencing the grace of God in Christ and growing spiritually by the power of the Holy Spirit, they, and therefore we, will continue to wrestle with sin and sometimes sin rather egregiously. So correction and rebuke are expected realities even in rather healthy church communities. In fact, a culture in which there is never correction or rebuke is almost certainly an unhealthy culture. It's kind of like the married couples who say they never have conflicts or arguments. You know there's a need, it's just being squelched. Which raises a really important question. Have you ever been corrected or rebuked by a fellow brother or sister in Christ? I ask because I promise you that you've needed it at some point. Excommunication? Hopefully not. But at least a little tap on the shoulder, you know, hey, we've got a problem here. Let's chat. If we haven't experienced this, it probably means we're not in faithful biblical community along the lines of what we talked about a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 2, or it means that we've made it quite clear to other people that we are unwilling to receive correction. The drive through is closed. You've got this this big old piece of corn in your mouth, but no one wants to tell you because you're the big man. Back to the text in verse 5. At no point does Paul minimize the pain that this ringleader has caused. In fact, he points out that this ringleader's actions have harmed the entire Corinthian church. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. The consequences of our sin are are always more expansive than we think, not less. And the consequences of our sin are always more communal than we would like to believe. So rebuke was necessary for two reasons. Number one, to help the community itself heal. And two, to help this wayward brother see the error of his ways and hopefully, in God's mercy, catalyze repentance and restoration. Since repentance and restoration were the goal eventually, and you can see this in verses 6 and 7, the punishment was enough, it was time to show this man forgiveness and comfort. And it's implied in Paul's instructions that this man had become sorrowful and repentant, which is a miraculous development given the prior strength of his opposition. God has been at work. And though Paul had been grievously wounded by this guy, he kind of downplays it in this text, but had been seriously hurt by this guy, he led this forgiveness calvary by assuring the Corinthians that he was going to join them in their forgiveness. Verse 10, Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. What is this forgiveness? It's a monumentally gracious, sacrificial action in which we say to somebody, though your actions were serious and caused me great harm, I'm going to give up my right to be angry with you or to exact revenge. So we're not minimizing the costs. That's not what we're doing here. oh, oh you didn't mean to do it. You know, I, I know that's not really what you meant. I keep reading children's books to my kids, not just to myself, although there's nothing wrong with that. I keep reading these children's books about forgiveness that, con- that are, they, they are minimizing offenses to, re- to promote the forgiveness. That is constantly in the instruction. You should forgive your friend because he was probably just having a bad day. You know what? Sometimes people are having a great day, and they still commit grievous offenses. Forgiveness is not about cost minimization. It's about maximizing the grace. That's forgiveness even though you have caused me great pain. In Christ Jesus, I have, by grace, received such staggering, costly forgiveness that it would be absurd to withhold forgiveness from you. Church, does this grace wash over you every morning? Or has it grown kind of stale, you know, retreating to the recesses of your heart? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of God's grace. Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and this uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, that is Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Because of that forgiveness, we extend forgiveness to other people. And then assuming there's repentance on their end, we comfort them. In the context of this text, most likely it means that we we kind of receive them back in the church fellowship and the community. We tell them about the forgiveness that they have in Christ, and then depending on the circumstances, in this case, it means restoring them to church fellowship. We extend our love to them in community, We don't leave them out in the cold. And I say, depending on the circumstances, because there are some, of course, very complex situations, especially those involving abuse, where restoring people to community needs to be very nuanced and account for the needs of those who have been abused. So, church, we forgive, and then we comfort. All of this in the presence of Christ, who looks upon our actions with joyous approval, and then gives us the strength that we need to do it by the power of the Spirit. We correct those who need to be corrected even with tears in our eyes, but we correct to restore, and then we show forgiveness even at great cost to ourselves. And then in doing both of these things, in correcting and forgiving, and then in receiving them, correction and forgiveness, we end up Loving people individually. And we contribute to the flourishing of our community. I realize we haven't been super specific about how to do all of this. So I'm going to end with a story that hopefully gives you at least something to work with. When I was nearing the end of my time in grad school, this was up in Chicago. as Ugo was talking about a very cold place. When I was finishing my time, I actually this is contextually really relevant. I think of it. I was watching, uh, I just finished watching a football game, a Florida football game with one of my uh, Gator friends who was also living in Chicago. We're very, we'd known each other for a lot of years. We were watching a football game together, and after the game ended, he said, Hey, can we have a, a chat? I'm like, Sure. Grab our coats, go outside. Two hour walk in the late Chicago fall, very cold, very uncomfortable. Two hour walk, so he could tell me personally about an area in my life that needed correction. Seriously. Took me on a two-hour walk. He said, listen, I know you really well. I love you, and because I know you and I love you, and I know that you love me, i got to tell you this really hard thing, and we need to chat about it. And we chatted about it. And it was really uncomfortable. And it was really hard. And I don't want to go on one of those walks every week. But we went on the walk, and I still think about it to this very day, and it continues to be a blessing. He has no idea how much that boldness, that loving correction on his part has blessed me in the present moment. And here's the thing that I want to say about community. It actually also blesses you because the things that he told me helped me be a more effective minister in this context. And then he offered forgiveness. And then he offered reconciliation. And I think that's the model. That's what it looks like. That's what God wants. Amen. Every week at City Church, we participate in the Lord's table together. It's an opportunity as the people of God to reflect on the grace and forgiveness we have in Christ. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was to be betrayed, shared a meal with his disciples, and during the meal, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. And then in a similar manner, after the meal, Jesus took the cup. And as he poured it, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. And Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. A certain proclamation because he rose again from the dead and his return is imminent and it will be powerful and joyous for the people of God. Eat and drink in remembrance of that this morning. I'm going to pray for us after I do. There's going to be an elder or deacon at either side of this table. Uh, they will have a basket of communion packets that when you come forward, they'll just drop one in your hand, or there's a basket on the hospitality table, you can come and pick one up at any point. So that would be for anyone who says, hey, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, I am a sinner in need of the spiritual rescue from God. If you're here and you would not say that you're a follower of Jesus instead of taking a meal that you're unsure of or wouldn't say that you believe in, uh, we would encourage you to simply be reflecting on what we've just been talking about instead of partaking, and we would love to have conversations with you. We would love for you to keep coming and to wrestle with us through all of this. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you that we can not only talk about grace and forgiveness as we just did, but we can actually enjoy a meal together that reminds us very tangibly um, in a meal in which not only are we remembering, but we're trusting that the Spirit of God is working powerfully in us to change us as we eat and drink and repent and confess sin. And speaking of that, Lord, if there are things that are kind of buried in our hearts that we need to bring out into the open prayerfully right now, give us the boldness to do that. If there are brothers and sisters in Christ that we need to forgive, give us the energy by your Spirit to do that even now. If we need to repent, show us where we need to repent to one another, to others in this church fellowship. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: I'm the one who held the nail It was cold between my fingertips I've hidden in the garden I've denied you with my very God, I fall down to my knees with a hammer in my hand. You look at me, arms open, forgiven, forgiven. Child, there is freedom from all of it. Say goodbye to every sin. You are forgiven. I've seen done things I wish I hadn't done. Things I wish I hadn't seen. Just the thought of your.
2: Would you stand with us? Would you sing this chorus with me? the Lord. could remember.
3: They are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morning. Our sins, they are.
2: Sing this last verse together. Sing it out.
3: What riches
2: of kindness He lavished on us. His
3: blood was a payment. His life was a cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. So much more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more stronger than darkness. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord.
4: wonderful worshiping with you this morning. Just a reminder, if you go across the street to some tents, the ones across from Lucy's, a few of us will be there from our staff. We'd love to get to know you. we will have a few pastries, uh, so you can head over there in five minutes or so. We'd love to meet you. Hear spin addiction, and then we'll sing uh, the doxology together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.
2: Let's
3: sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and holy ghost
2: amen, amen. go in peace Longs to be home.
1: Come now,